Today we're going to look at the subject of the Passover and we're going to see how Jesus transformed that into breaking bread. And uh, we've, um, my goal today is to understand what and why we break bread together and for each of us to get the most out of the celebration at the end of the teaching. We're going to be having a celebration of breaking bread together. So we've talked about covenants uh, in the last few weeks, and usually when a covenant was made, like um, the covenant with Abraham or others, when a covenant was made, there was some way of ongoing of ongoing physical symbolism to go with that covenant. So can you remember what, when God made a covenant with Noah about not bringing another flood? Can you remember what the ongoing symbolism is? The rainbow, yes. The the symbolism with with um, with Abraham was circumcision. Uh, there were other things like there's um, a covenant that Jacob made with his brother-in-law Laban, where he, his uncle Laban, where the symbolism was a pillar that was put up that they would both see, and so there's some ongoing symbolism. Um, Israel was given the Passover feast sacrifice as this ongoing remembrance of what God had done for them. And we are given breaking of bread. So breaking of bread is very clearly linked to the new covenant. It is the ongoing celebration that's to remind us to pull us back into the memory of the new covenant. Now, you may say, you know, wonder why I call it breaking bread and I don't call it communion or so on. Well, if you look at the names in the Bible, it's called breaking bread 12 times. Called the Lord's table once, Lord's supper once, love feast once, communion once, and Eucharist not at all. So I call it breaking bread because I want to use the term that is used in the scripture. And I'm going to do Three things today. I'm going to look at the original Passover, the old covenant feast, and then how Jesus replaced it. This is the new covenant in my blood. And then how should we celebrate it now? So first of all, the old, the original Passover, the covenant feast. And you know the story about the plagues in Israel, how Israel was slaves in Egypt and God wanted to free them, and he sent ten plagues to try and persuade Pharaoh's mind, and none of them worked. And the final plague was the death of the firstborn, and that was like a picture of the final judgment. There's actually interesting parallels between the plagues in in Egypt and some of the precursors to the final judgment at the end of time. And like the death of the firstborn is only one dying, but it's like a picture of final judgment. And um, uh, the this then would be the, the last thing that God did, and it's what brought them to freedom. Now, the most significant part of this story, the key part, is that there would be a substitute available. The substitute, of course, being the lamb. Um, it's interesting to note that this actually was technically available to both Israelites and Egyptians. And we read later that, in fact, there were many Egyptians left with the Israelites uh, when they left Egypt. And in fact, 
later on in, in the description of the Passover, God gives specific instructions about how these people could become part of the nation of Israel. And it's basically by being circumcised. People could join Israel. It wasn't an exclusive club. And so... This was the, the background to the story. So let's, I want to take us in now to the account in Exodus chapter 12 of the original story. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. In other words, the calendar is going to restart right now. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household's too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons. Because there's a lot of meat on a lamb. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you should keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they're eating it. So the outside doors, um, the posts and the lintel, they should put blood on that. And they shall eat the flesh that night Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Uh, we'll come on to the unleavened bread in a minute. Um, the bitter herbs were quite simply, it says bitter, but we think of being unpleasant. But actually, uh, in, in those times, the evidence, we have a lot of evidence for the way they cooked food. And they used a big range of herbs to make the food taste more diverse and more interesting. So this would have been herbs to add flavor and quite similar in some ways to current Middle Eastern herbs that are used. So they could add flavor to the lamb to make it taste nice. Uh, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its hind, its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. This is how you're to eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So this is why it's called the Passover. The, because the, the angel of death would pass over that house and not kill the occupants inside, the firstborns inside, when they saw the blood. Because the blood, the price had already been paid. It's a substitute. Uh, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will before you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a memorial, memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. So he gives them a few days warning about this, but it's going to happen on that particular night and they're going to have to run for it in the morning. So... Um, 
That is the, the Passover. And it was actually, as I, I've looked through every single reference in the Bible to Passover feast, leaven, unleaven. I've got them all. I've read them all. It's actually, I was interested. I didn't realize this before, but the feast of unleavened bread is in fact different to the Passover feast. The Passover feast is a single night and the feast of unleavened bread is the next seven days. But often they're merged together because you couldn't eat leavened bread in the on the Passover. Let me just explain that for you who don't know. Leaven is another word for yeast. And so bread without leaven in it, bread without yeast, what do we call it today when we eat it? Do we you know you can get Middle Eastern bread that doesn't have yeast in it. What would you call it? You got uh, pita bread. That would be that would be a, 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 a unleavened bread or naan bread or something like that. Bread that's not risen. What was the point? Well, the point was that they would have to rush and leave so quickly in the morning, they wouldn't have time to go through the process of adding yeast to the bread and letting it rise and so on. And so they would just rush off with the dough and they would have to cook it um, as they traveled without it rising. So that was the original thing. The, the, the fact that they had unleavened bread in the feast was just simply to remember that time, just simply to remember that that was the occasion that the um, that they uh, they they had to travel. So, um, so key elements of the Passover: there was a sacrifice of a spotless lamb. Its blood was a substitute for the firstborn, so it be passed over, and this was to be remembered. Here's another scripture, Exodus 12. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, so no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And then later on in the chapter, when your children say to you, "Why do you, what do you mean by this ceremony? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. Um, so the, we'll notice that, um, that there's no drink that's mentioned at all. Um, of course, they would have drunk, um, but the drink didn't have any specific symbolism. They would drink whatever was to hand at that time. And it's interesting... At, in, at that time in Egypt, wine was very expensive. In Palestine, it was really cheap because grapes grew everywhere. But in Egypt, it was very expensive. Does anybody know what the common drink was in Egypt at that time? It was beer. So it was, uh, in fact, it uses the same yeast as the uh, as the bread does. And so they would probably have had beer with this meal. Um, we can't be sure, though, but it's not a significant part of the meal. Um, later on, they, they would drink wine with it because that was just the common drink. Um, so later on, when they celebrated this, it had to be done at Jerusalem. It doesn't say it in this text, but other texts, it says there are three times when the whole nation should gather in Jerusalem. One of them was for the Passover and the lambs would have to be sacrificed at the temple. Now, this caused a problem for the Jews when the temple was destroyed by, by the Romans in AD 70 and they, the, 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 uh, 
city was was taken down and uh, they they couldn't celebrate the Passover anymore. And so it was replaced by something called the cedar, which the uh, which is celebrated now. And of course, that can't be a Passover because passing passing over is passing over the blood of the uh, because, uh, passing over because the blood is there, and there's no blood in a cedar. There's no sacrifice. There's no substitute in the cedar. In fact, it's based on. If you read the, the rabbis, they've based it on um, uh, some Greek. Um, what's called a symposium, which was like a discussion where people would, would do various rituals and ask questions, but they've repurposed it to ask questions about the Exodus. But unfortunately, the main symbolism is gone. The main symbolism, which is a substitute, one dying for another, is now no longer in the celebration because that required the lamb. So that's really unfortunate. Uh, but, of course, they can't... Um, they can't sacrifice because they can't go to Jerusalem. So uh, that then is the original, that's the background to what happened. And we're now going to look at how Jesus replaced it and what he called the new covenant in his blood. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 26 where we hear we're at the Last Supper and Jesus is speaking. Now, as they were eating... Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is the blood, is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And Luke says, the new covenant in my blood. So it's very clear that this happened during the Passover. Jesus is doing this. And Jesus is taking some of the things in the Passover and repurposing them. Uh, He's taking the meal that symbolizes the old covenant. And he's now saying, this is what how you're to remember the new covenant. And now I'm going to show you a slide now, and this is the most important slide for understanding the message of what I'm saying today. Um, This is Old versus New Covenant in the symbolism. So Jesus makes use of what is present to replace the symbolism. And across the top there, I've got the Old Covenant symbolism. It's annual. It's a blood sacrifice of a lamb. There's bread with it, which is unleavened bread. And there's an unspecified drink. Now, what? So let's look at the um, the first one. Well, Jesus replaces it with something frequent. It's not specified how often. You know, some some churches would do it every Sunday, and and that's that's great to do that. Um, it, but it's 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 more frequently than annual. Um, uh, the second thing was there's no more sacri- there's no more lambs being sacrificed because one Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. So this is really key that he stopped that bit. He, he took that bit out of it, and then the unleavened bread it happened to be there, and he repurposed that completely, just because it was there. He repurposed that and and said, "This is my body, broken for you," um, and then. The the uh, the drink, which happened to be wine, he takes that and uses that. That that is the lifeblood poured out, the drink, and then of course the unleavened bread is the broken body. So 
This is what Jesus has done. Jesus isn't saying I'm giving you a new twist on this old ceremony. No, he's saying this is this is different. This is new, but I'm replacing it. This is the new covenant as opposed to the old. In the new, the lamb has been slain and does not need to be slain again. In the new, uh, your sin is washed permanently. My body is broken for you. So it's it's a new symbolism that he's given, and uh, there's some uh, some of that described in First um, Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Well, that's interesting, that last statement. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Uh, But I'm going to move to the last part of our message today. We've looked at um, the old covenant feast. We looked at how Jesus repurposed it, replaced it. And now we're going to look at how we celebrate it today. And I've got a suggestion to you that there are actually seven things in the way we, we, we celebrate it today. Seven ideas. And uh, uh, I'm going to suggest to you that um, the first one is that... Um, actually, let me... Before I say that, I'm not going to go this into, into this now, um, but there's very good evidence that the early church didn't celebrate it the way we tend to, which is like as a special little thing with the bread and wine as part of our service, they celebrated it as part of a meal, which they called a love feast. The best evidence is, and I and I, I wrote a, a mini thesis on this once, I did a lot of research to see what was there. The best evidence is that they had a meal together and they opened the meal, they began the meal with breaking bread and then they had like an ordinary meal, which they'd call a love feast. And then they'd end the meal with the wine. And that was how they did things. And we've got, we've got lots of evidence from, um, from archaeology and from writings from the time and all kinds of things that point us to that kind of thing. And, uh, not a separate thing. Um, so we're not going to do that today, but I'd like some time, I'd love us to do that, I'd love us to actually to actually have a meal together out there and, and do it and have a love feast together and do it as part of our meal. And uh, I think it'd be great to do that. I, I don't think that um, it's, you know, you, there's a, there's a, you get less spiritually from it, doing it one way or the other, but I think that um, it's about your heart, what you get from it. But I think it will be interesting to do it in that way and really copy what the early church did. So, uh, the first thing I want to say that about, out of the seven things, the first one is that we look back on what Jesus did. The first thing is a looking back, do this in remembrance of me. And... Uh, what does it mean to remember? Well, simply to remember, simply not to forget, simply to keep it in mind what Jesus did. That's simply all it means. Do this in remembrance of me. And then the second thing I want to say, and this is, we don't often think of it, but Paul says this in um, verse 26 here, uh, 
as often you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Well, that's interesting. Why? What does that mean? How, how are we proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes? How can it function to proclaim? Well, it's really interesting, but in, in the early church, this actually happened because people wondered who these Christians were that spent so much time in their houses together eating. And they were impressed by the level of love and community. And they would, people would say, you know, what is it you do when you get together all the time? And they would explain to them, oh, we do this and we break the bread and we, you know, we drink the wine because of what Jesus, and so it was an opportunity to explain the gospel. Um, and uh, it's, it's interesting that um, even recently I was watching a, a, a lecture on archaeology and the archaeologist, who's not a Christian, he was excavating a, a Roman house which had been used for uh, Christian community gatherings. And he said, it's amazing, you can see where they gathered together and like they've written some of their texts on the wall here. But what was really remarkable that differentiated the Christian gatherings from all the others was that slaves and wealthy would all be together. Everybody was together. Everybody was one. None of the other religions had that. They all matched a particular structure of society. And he said, you know what? I think that's possibly why Christianity grew so fast. So it, so that was proclaiming to him, as he's reading, even as an archaeologist 2,000 years later, he is seeing the, 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 the love of Christ through the Lord's Supper and what they did at that particular time. So, uh, looking backwards as we remember Jesus' death, and proclaiming what Jesus has done as a reference to others, as a, a witness to others. The third thing I want to say, and this is more evident when you're eating a meal together, is demonstrating our unity in Christ. And this is another sermon that I preached, but um, the, when Paul addresses the Corinthians, there's a real problem of disunity in communion, which is an awful thing, because he says, actually... When we're, when we're, um, eating and drinking together, we do it at, um, at the same time. We all drink together. We all eat together to show we're one body. We're unity. And that's one of the messages that we carry in this. Um, the fourth one is to celebrate our sins are washed away. And this is looking back to the, um, the Passover imagery, freed from slavery and so on. Um, so, um, so we're going to, in a moment, we're going to actually do this, and I want to concentrate your minds on a few things to remember. I'm not going to ask you to remember all seven, but there are four of them. Um, one of them is we obtain a blessing by faith when we receive the benefits of Christ's death. Now, you may know, you may or may know, but this has been a division in Christianity for 2000, maybe 1,500 years. And people on one extreme saying the bread and the wine actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. So you're actually eating Christ's flesh when you eat the bread, and that would be the, the Catholic position. The other position, the other extreme, would be say it's just symbolism. It just It's just a symbol. Um, there's nothing special about it at all. Well, I would be in the middle. I would say it, it's not actually really Christ's flesh and his blood, but nevertheless... It's more than just a symbol. When you're taking it in, God has promised a blessing. 
God has promised you that you actually will receive some of the blessing of Christ when you do this. When you, it's the same as baptism. Baptism doesn't have some mystical thing that changes us, but there's a, a blessing promised in baptism. And so when we do this, we can expect that there will be an impartation from the Lord um, if we are if we are actually trusting Him. Of course, we're just eating it, and we don't we don't trust Jesus. It doesn't mean anything at all. It's just what happens if somebody who's not a Christian, not a follower of Jesus, eats the bread. It's just bread. It's not. It's it's only by faith that this becomes a blessing to us. Um, so that's the fifth one, and um, the the uh, fifth one, the sixth one. It's a picture of depending on Jesus for sustenance. Now you may say, well, we didn't read that in any of the verses that you read, and so this is this is um, this is interesting. John's Gospel contains no references to the breaking of bread. And you think, why does John not do this? It was so significant. Why does he not do that? But John has something else instead. Does anybody know what John has instead? When Jesus fed the 5,000, John records Jesus saying, "You, this I am the bread from heaven. Eat this bread and you will have life. And Jesus uses all of those symbol, uh, symbolism when he broke the bread and fed the 5,000. So John assumes that you've read the other Gospels. It was written sometime later than all the other Gospels. And he assumes you've read them. And so he doesn't need to. We've heard that three times already. He doesn't need to do this. So he's going to add something else in. And what's key to this other thing is that it's actually a picture of being sustained through bread. And this is this is interesting because... It enriches the imagery. When you're eating food, that food keeps you alive, doesn't it? You, you, you didn't have any food or drink, you'd die. So this keeps you alive. And so this is an imagery that's in there, that this is actually the life of Jesus that you are taking into yourself spiritually, which keeps you alive. And Jesus uses other imagery like the vine and the branches. You know, we, we live because of him. His, his energy flows into us. He's the living water and so on. So, um, uh, this is then, this is, uh, the sixth one. The last one, looking forward to feasting with Christ in glory. In, in, um, Revelation 19.9, we read, uh, the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And Jesus says to the disciples, no, I will not eat this again till I eat it with you in the kingdom. And this is the, sorry, I will not drink it again till I drink it with you in the kingdom. And this imagery of looking forward to a feast in the future. And what I'd like to do now, I'm just coming to an end now, and I'd like to give you one final slide. And this slide is going to summarize four of those ideas that I've just given you that I want you to hold in your head while we're having, while we're actually doing breaking bread. So these are the emotions to hold. The first, I want you to hold some sadness that Jesus died because you sinned, because I sinned, he died. And he, he broke the bread and that breaking of the bread is particularly symbolic of his body being broken, he said. And so sadness is particularly linked to the bread. It's linked to both, but particularly the bread. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given to you. 
do this in remembrance of me. So the first emotion is sadness. The second is a cling to Jesus receiving a life from the one we depend on. And this is what I've just been talking about of dependence. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And the idea of we're receiving sustenance from him. So we're going to begin in just a moment by uh, eating the bread. And I'm going to put these two up on the screen again so you'll see them. And I just want you to concentrate on that. So actually, as you eat the bread, you think this is Christ I'm taking in. This is his life I'm taking, giving me energy. And it's broken because he was broken for me. So I want you to re- to actually have that mindfully as you're doing the action. And then as we're doing the wine, there's two more emotions. Joy, celebrating, you're now washed spotlessly clean. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you for forgiveness of sins. And the idea of like his blood shed for ours and the idea of being washed in the blood of the lamb. So this is a positive, this matches the sadness And this is like the other side of the coin that we are now spotless. Like we come before God, absolutely he can't see a spot of sin in us. And just as you're drinking, just remember that. Just think of that. I'm spotless before him because of this cup. And the last one is the hope in an unimaginably bright future for eternity. And the quote I've got, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So I want you to set your mind. This is like a promise. This is a tiny bit of a feast that's coming. And this tiny bit of wine I'm drinking now is just a little taste. And wine is sweet, isn't it? Like wine is, wine is, wine tastes pleasant. It's that, that's the goal. That's why he used the wine because it's to picture the joy and like the, the feasting celebration that we're going to have. And so, and so uh, as you're drinking that, I want you to think of this cleansing, washing clean and the hope of the feasting that we're going to have for eternity. So I'm going to just uh, ask God's blessing now and then I'm going to get the worship team to come up because they're going to accompany us as we're going through this. Father, we thank you for this wonderful celebration that we have, this way of remembering what you've done for us, what you are doing for us right now and what you will do for us in the future. Lord, we pray that you'll be with each one of us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to eat the bread now together. And so as we eat it together, just to remind you the sadness that Jesus had to suffer so much, that just as his bread was broken, his body is broken for us. And the the, the, the fact that we're sustained, just as we take in the bread and that sustains us, this is symbolic of Jesus' life sustaining us and keep keeping us spiritually alive and giving us strength. Uh, as we as we eat it, so let's eat this in remembrance of him. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you that you have you have you've loved us so much. You've cost you cost you so much that you did this in joy. 
Lord, we thank you for what we have from you now. Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And one thing I just I want to say as we do this is to, to, to take in Jesus' love for you. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to take in love because we feel we don't deserve it. I want you just to feel the love of Jesus, that love that is so strong that he has for you right now. If you were the only person who sinned, he would have done this for you. His love for you is, is tangible in these, in these elements. So just think of his love. Allow that love to settle into you now. And we're going to pass out the I know and continue to sing. So let's drink this, shall we? And before we drink it, uh, what, it's, it's, it's a pleasant taste. It's, it's a pleasant, and it's supposed to be because this is, this is representing joy. This is representing the joy of your sins forgiven, that you're spotless, washed. Jesus says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And, and think of it as being a foretaste of that feast in glory. This hope, the 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 plague, the tenth plague in Egypt was like a picture of the end of the world, and the Passover took them through into a new life, into a new existence, and this will take us through the end of the world, the final judgment. It will take us through into an, an eternity that is unimaginably glorious, where we're feasting with Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is this is a joy that that. Um, we, we, we can hardly comprehend now. But I want you to just think of this as a love gift from Jesus to you personally. He loves you. And as you drink it, just think. Just feel his love. His love in washing you and his love in promising to you, this to you. So let's just think of these things as we drink it now together. Okay, let's just thank God for that, shall we? Lord, we thank you. We thank you, we can never thank you enough, but Lord, we thank you, we pour out our thanks, because your love for us is unstoppable. Your love for us is greater than any force in this world or the age to come. Your love for us is broken through, and you've given us this gift now. Lord, may we not forget what we've done this morning, may we carry us through this week, may we remember that we are loved, we've taken your love into our bodies. We belong to you. We are sealed by you. We are part of the new covenant in your blood. Take this with us now, Lord, in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen.